Yeah, so when you hear the word femininity, what, what comes to mind? I want you to keep that, in, in your, in your, that question in your mind here. We could, we could poll the audience and spend tons of time thinking, thinking through that. But what, what, what comes to mind? Because I would think in our day that there's, there's all sorts of different things that, that may, may come to mind. Maybe you're a, maybe you're a woman who, um, when you hear a call for biblical femininity, uh, you, you automatically think that it's going to be somebody who's, we're about to tell you what to dress and how to walk and how to talk. Um, maybe it feels a little oppressive. Uh, maybe you think it's a call for weakness and to be, to be trampled upon. Or maybe for others, hearing the word femininity, you, uh, it's a word that brings to mind the, the beauty and the gentleness of, of a woman and the way that God has uniquely created um, women. Maybe a particular person comes to mind. When you think of femininity, you think of, oh, this, this lady. Maybe for some of you on Mother's Day, you might think of, think of your mom. But what is femininity, and what does it mean to be a woman? I would think it'd be really hard to be a woman. Now, that might seem to make sense because I'm, I'm not one, but, um, you know, if, if you've ever gone to one of those, those carnivals and you've walked through a house of mirrors, have you ever done that before? When you, when you walk through, you know that when you're in there, you, you see yourself, but in ways that are confusing. Because in some mirrors, you see yourself as tall and super thin, then in other mirrors, you see yourself as maybe short and stubby. Um, Others, you see yourself kind of distorted. And I think that living as a woman in this fallen world, that everywhere I walked, I would feel like that. Because there are messages coming from every single angle telling you this is what it means to be a woman, or this is what it doesn't mean to be a woman. And there's so many mixed messages whether it be through media, or celebrity models, or pornography, or friends that you're around, or romantic relationships that you see unfolding before you, you are constantly receiving messages about what it means to be, to be a woman. And I would imagine that it would be confusing and frustrating and could probably induce some serious anxiety. When I think about raising daughters and living with my wife, um, I feel for them. I feel for my daughter when she walks by and looks at the magazines on the rack and say, Daddy, why is, what is that about? And feel like she's being, trying to be conformed in a particular, particular way. So this is why it's essential for us to not take our cues from cultural conceptions, but rather to come humbly to the one who made us and say, God, what does it mean for us to be people made in your image? What does it mean for a woman to be a, a woman. So as we do this, my prayer is that we will lay aside whatever baggage we might think as we come to this discussion and allow our hearts uh, and minds to be conformed to God's revelation in the Scriptures. Now, I'll be honest with you. As I was putting this together, uh, it was a little bit intimidating. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm not a woman. Um, but I, as I wrestled through this, through prayer, through study, through reading articles written by, by godly sisters who I uh, respect and having good conversations and studying God's Word, um, 
I'm hopeful for the things that we're going to talk about this morning, because I think it'll be hopeful, helpful for ladies uh, to be thinking about what it means to be a woman, and also for men um, to have some of our perceptions corrected. So we're not going to get through everything that I have in this, but this is available for you, okay? So there's going to be some things I'm going to have to say, all right, we're going to breeze past this, and you'll be like, what? Just trust me, hang on, this could be years worth of, of material, but... Let's begin by a review of some foundational definitions, okay? So this is last week, John did a biblical manhood and helped us to think through uh, what, what gender is. We said gender is the profile of characteristics related to being male or female. We say that uh, the gender is um, an objective biological reality that's based upon chromosomes uh, males have certain chromosomes and physical bodies. Females have certain chromosomes and physical bodies. The gender is an objective reality. It's not a subjective thing merely, but it's, it's something that's, that's defined for us by the one who made us. Masculinity is the experience and expression of maleness, where femininity is the experience and expression of femaleness. Manhood is the maturity of masculinity, and womanhood is the maturity of femininity. So this is, um, these are kind of broad ideas, but I think you'll see these, these worked out. If you weren't here for last week, John's lesson on, on manhood and masculinity is up on the website. You can listen to it. Um, but we're going to try and work out what, is this, what does this mean to be, to be feminine, to be, to be a woman. One other thing, just to kind of lay out some under these foundational definitions. Last week we talked about two approaches within Christianity uh, to this subject of, <clears throat> of gender and uh, men and women. And these are uh, what we'll call complementarianism and egalitarianism. Um, complementarianism is, is the, the belief that affirms that God created man and woman with equal dignity and worth, but designed them with distinct roles and responsibilities in the home, in the church, in society that are rooted in God's design and creation, not merely effects of sin or um, social or cultural norms, but that God has made man and woman to complement one another. We'll see more of that this morning. That's, by the way, the perspective that we are, uh, we're coming with here. And then there's the other, the other side of the spectrum would be egalitarianism that affirms that God created man and woman with equal dignity and worth, but... Um, but that they would have the same roles and responsibilities, that there would be no distinction, and that rather any distinctions of roles and responsibilities are mere corruptions of the fall, um, and that, within, that in Christ all those things are done away with and things are kind of flattened out. So um, again, Christians can hold both of those, uh, those views. We would, um, here at Delray Baptist Church, we, we certainly believe in complementarianism, and, but we also realize just that label has baggage and we're we're happy to help talk some of that out with you if you're, if you're interested. All right, so letter B. This is under our introduction. Last thing, just for intro. We want to remember as we study this that, that God is a good creator who has wise designs. So as we approach this subject, we must do so with hearts that are expectant to see God's good and wise design. Psalm 119.68 says, You are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes. You are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes. 
truths from God that grate against our culture or our personal desires, we've got to remember that, that those truths that come from God are not our enemy, but they are good and wise gifts from the God who made us. And this is part of just what it means to be a human, that we need to remember that God made us, and He knows what's good for us, infinitely better than, than we do. That means that being a godly, biblical female is nothing to be ashamed of. God says biblical femininity is a good and beautiful thing. Elizabeth Elliot said it this way, Femininity is not a curse. It is not even a triviality. It is a gift, a divine gift, to be accepted with both hands and to be thankful to God for. So what that means, brothers and sisters, is when you read through Genesis 1 and 2, and 1 Timothy 2 and 3, and 1 Corinthians 11, and 1 Corinthians 14, and 1 Peter 3, and other passages like that, and you see that God has unique roles and responsibilities for men and women, that our response ought not be irritation and anger if we find that. And if it is, it, gi- it should give us a time to, to pause, to ponder, why does this bother me? And to come prayerfully to God and say, God, instruct me. Help me to see your will and your way in, in my life. Okay? So those are just some, some intro kind of definitions and, and big, big picture stuff. Now what we're going to do is we're going to move uh, under Roman numeral 2 here toward an understanding of biblical womanhood. Now also, if you're new to this class, um, the format here is, is much of instruction. So I'm going to be doing a lot of talking this morning. Uh, the idea is to give you things so that you can talk about it together over lunch, over dinner, for the rest of your lives. But this is not the end of the conversation with me or with other pastors here. This should open dialogue so that we can continue to have conversation. I'll do my best to open up a little bit as we go along here, but in case you're new to this format, just want to let you know it's kind of our, our, our approach here. So our main question for today is, what does the Bible teach about womanhood? Or to put it another way, how has God designed, formed, and in, yeah, instructed women to identify, relate, and live in a way that is unique to women and distinct from men? What, is, what, is that, what does that mean? How has God done that? Well, under letter A here, let's talk about what femininity and womanhood isn't. All right, so last week, John did a really good job of talking about kind of the, the two ditches of manhood. So you remember you had, uh, remember exactly what we called them, but the first was macho man, where if you're going to be a true man, if you're really going to be manly, you need to be a cage fighter who can sleep, you know, get dropped in the woods somewhere, and you can start your own fire and kill your own boar with your hands, and like, that's manly, right? I'm dead on the first day, I think. <laughs> like... <laughs> But that's, that's manly, okay? Um, or the other ditch is the, the neutral man, where basically the man is the same as, as a woman, just different biology, but the roles of leadership, provision, courage, protection are replaced by mutual submission and co-nurturing, and really a man just looks no different than a woman. So you've got macho man over here, and then you've got neutral man who's just no different. So John talked about that last week, did a great job. The whole thing's worth just listening to that. Um, But we'd say that women and womanhood would have same kinds of ditches. 
So the first ditch would be the, the silent Betty Crocker, right? Kind of leave it to beaver kind of picture where mom's always, was well, mom, and she's always smiling. She's never speaking except when she's asked something. She's wearing homemade jumpers, um, really having no opinions, always decorating, cleaning. Like that's, that's her over here. Or the, the other ditch would be the do-it-all diva, which is much more popular in our day. So, I mean, uh, the first is characterized with the DirecTV Settlers commercial. You're just going to settle, right, for cable when you get DirecTV, and she's over here knitting her stuff and doing her, like, that's, that's the one ditch. But then the other ditch is, is the do-it-all diva, where you've got the woman who has superpowers, right, to be able to pursue uh, a successful career, to be a, a Oh, not just a good wife, but a great wife, to be able to be a wonderful mother, to maintain a killer Pinterest page, and to be able to blog about it the whole time, right? So like just this ability to be able to have it all, do it all. Those are both ditches in our culture today um, that are, I want to say, dangerous and and are not what the Bible says this is what womanhood is. So what we're going to be thinking about for the rest of our time now is, okay, what is that, what is that road down the middle that, that the Lord prescribes um, that is full of joy and grace and, and wisdom in His, His wise design? So that's going to move us to letter B here. What is biblical femininity and womanhood? We could come up with lots of different uh, definitions, but... Um, I've given you one here that comes out of uh, a book called Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, a response to biblical feminism, by uh, John Piper and Wayne Grudem, which is a book about this thick. So if you're like, this is just, this is child's play, this class, we want more. Well, there's a whole book, okay? And uh, it's, it's a great resource, at least to begin thinking through things. Encourage you to, to, to check it out. It's, uh, it's arranged in a pretty readable way and, um, and, a, and, a, and a good resource. But this is the definition here um, that, uh, that they lay out that I think is really helpful for us. Somebody want to read this definition for us under letter B? The essence of biblical femininity is a freeing disposition to affirm, receive, and nurture strength and leadership from worthy men in ways appropriate to a woman's differing relationship. Good. Now that is packed full, right? But notice there, it's a freeing disposition, so it's not an enslaved disposition, but it's a freeing, joyful one. Disposition is an attitude of the heart, right? To do something, to do what? To, to affirm, to receive, to nurture strength and leadership from worthy men. So notice not all men, though there's an attitude always to be had toward other humans, but from worthy men, in ways appropriate to women's differing relationships. So there's, there's different kinds of relationships that, 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 that sisters are in all the time. And the way they're going to relate to men is going to be, going to be different depending on, on those, those relationships. Now, a lot of this, I think, is going to get worked out as we, we go through here. Um, but does anybody have any just 
as we look at that, any comment or question about that definition is in particular? The essence of biblical femininity is a freeing disposition, so it's not an enslaving one, as the world would say, to affirm, receive, and nurture. So notice it's an active thing, it's not just a passive thing. Strength and leadership from worthy men, so there's a recognition that men have their own role as well, and that this is in relationship to men. And we want to say it's not limited to relationship with men. We'll see that as we go through. But in ways that are appropriate to women's differing relationships. So context is really important when we think about how you're going to be responding to people. Anybody have any comments, questions, thoughts about that, that definition? You don't have to. That's fine. I'm not offended if you do. Yes, Merck? Yeah, Kenneth Sandler. So, so I certainly think we're going to see as we walk, walk through here, um, there is going to be application that's not just in relationship to, to worthy men. But you think of Abigail. So Abigail, married to who? Nabal. Nabal, loser. Abigail, she's a rock star in regards to like she loves the Lord, trusts the Lord. The way that she relates to Nabal, there's still honor. There's still mindfulness, there's carefulness with her words, but following his leadership, there's a point where she's, she knows that it's going to be sin to continue to follow him, and she's going to say no. And she's put in a very difficult position by her husband, but she, there, there's, so, so she's not taking leadership from him on areas of sin and those types of things. She's going to, she's going to put on the brakes and um, which husbands never put your wives in that situation when you do confess quickly. Um, so there's, there's going to be applications of this that are outside of that. Um, and that, that, that is helpful here, that biblical femininity is, is most clearly understood in the way a woman responds to um, the pattern that God has established in biblical manhood. It's not the only time, but it's really clearly seen when there's a relationship with a man and a woman, that both of these um, roles, responsibilities, distinctiveness kind of shine out brightly. Doesn't mean that when sisters are together that there isn't the same kind of shining, which there should be, which is an edifying, example-setting, uh, imitate me as I imitate Christ type thing. That's certainly there. We'll see these qualities are going to flow out. But, but in the Scriptures, you're going to find that very often... Women's roles and women's uh, biblical femininity is, is presented in the context, very often, of, of marriage. Not because you need to be married in order to be feminine, fully feminine at all. But because in that relationship, it's, it's like laying the diamond on black velvet. It's, it's, there's a clear distinction here. While the two are one, but there's also their two. And how they're distinctly different is really important. So it radiates in that way. So that, that answers the question of why oftentimes um, when you hear talks about biblical femininity is always set in the context of, well, when you're married or when, you do, you know, when, you're, when you're around men. It's because it's presented that way in the scriptures often, 
I think because of, of God's design in, in gender of exposing one another's differences that are glorious because God has, has given them that way. Okay? But it doesn't mean those things go away when the sisters are all just hanging out. They should still be there, but they should be there in an edifying, calling upward type way, which I think we'll see. It's good. All right. Um, yeah. Yeah, so scripture, wisdom, context. Yeah, I mean, um, there's, there's a way that a, what a woman would relate to her husband in a way that she wouldn't relate to any other husband on the planet. So there's going to be there's going to be differing appropriate relationships. No, that's good. Is it a prophecy? <laughs> that's true. Just hold on, y'all. We're just getting going. All right. See, just hold on. Here we go. Huh? Yeah. No, that's true. There's, di- yeah, no, there's differing roles. There's differing types of men. There's fathers, brothers. We'll get into that. Hold on. All right, we're just throwing out definitions here. Hang on, y'all. Let her see. Where does femininity and womanhood come from? So where does this, is this just some kind of social construct? Is this just pragmatics? Is this a way for men to keep women in their place? What, what is this? What, where do we get these ideas from? Well, um, we need to go back to the source, right? So femininity reflects God's nature. Now here's the uncomfortable question for all the conservative Baptists. Does God have feminine attributes? Does God have feminine attributes? I would think that even asking that question would make some of us uncomfortable. Uh, but this is where it's wonderful for the scripture to be our God. So, um, it is true that Jesus in his human nature was a male. There's no doubt about that. Okay? Uh, I saw an article recently that said that, well, maybe, maybe, yeah, we're not even getting to it. But, yeah, Jesus in his human nature was a male. It's also true that God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are always, always referred to with the male personal pronoun he. What this does is this teaches us that it is biblically faithful to refer to God as He and that He delights in revealing Himself using uh, male metaphors such as father or husband. Now, while we hold that to be true, because it is, we must be sure to not make the mistake of saying that God is fundamentally male. See, the Bible teaches that God is spirit, John 4, 24. And as such, he is not gendered as we think of it. So when we call God Father, we do not mean that he is male, like human fathers are. Rather, we mean that he relates to us as a human father is supposed to. God the Father provides for us, protects, leads, and disciplines us as human fathers do. Only he does it perfectly. Right? I've given you some verses there, Hebrews 12. And in the same way, when the Bible speaks of God as a husband, it means that God jealously guards his relationship with his people like a good husband loves and protects his wife. I'll give you the Hosea references there. But God's revelation of himself does not end with him only using masculine descriptions of himself. God uses feminine descriptions as well. 
Now, what this doesn't mean is that we should ever call God she or her because he does not reveal himself that way. God intentionally reveals himself um, in, in, with the masculine um, pronouns. But it does mean that God possesses characteristics that are uniquely imaged by women. Not only imaged by women, but uniquely imaged by women. So, let's get some Bibles open. I need somebody in Isaiah 66, 13. Just say if you can get that. Just say, I got it. Isaiah 66, 13. Thank you. Isaiah 49, 15. Can you get it, somebody? Thank you. Deuteronomy 32, 11 and 12. Uh, Luke 13, 34. Luke 15, 8 through 10. Thank you. Psalm 22, 9 and 10. Isaiah 66, 9. And Hosea 13, 8. Great. Thank you. Here we go. So Isaiah 66, 13. Watch this. God comforts his people like a mother comforts a child. Isaiah 49, 15. God will not forget his children like a mother won't forget her nursing child. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. So he likens himself to a mother in that way. Um, God likens himself to a mother bird who nurtures and cares for her young. So the Deuteronomy 32 and then the Luke 13. And then Jesus uses this same images of himself. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Hmm. In the Luke 15 passage, God seeks the lost like a female housekeeper seeks a lost coin. Or what woman? In Psalm 22 and Isaiah 66, 9, God cares for his people like a midwife cares for a newly delivered child. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord? Shall I who cause to bring forth shut the womb, says your God? Hmm. And then... I think my personal favorite in all of these is God has mother bear anger against his enemies. Give me some Hosea 13. I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs. I will tear open their breasts, and there I will devour them like a lion, a wild beast with breasts and open. So it's interesting, you notice here, there are what we would call feminine attributes that God has displayed here. Think about them. Nurturing. Comforting, these all come out of these passages. Nurturing, comforting, thoughtful, compassionate, leading uh, in an appropriate way, guiding, caring, protecting, 
actively seeking to do good things, relational tenderness, anger against injustice. It's interesting that God reveals himself with, with all of these, these characteristics. Anthony? N- no, but I'll send it to you. <laughs> yeah, because you're not going to write them all down. It's more for, I mean, nurturing, comforting, thoughtful, compassionate, leading in appropriate ways, guiding, caring, protecting, actively seeking to do good things, relational tenderness, anger against injustice. Yeah, so, yes, I will. There you go. Um, now, what this means is this. Hear this. This is, I think, very important. This is really insightful for me as I was studying. When God creates male and female, they are said to be created in his own image, Genesis 1.27. One of the ways this is relevant for us is to understand that masculine and feminine qualities each uniquely display aspects of God's nature. That means he intentionally created men to uniquely reflect particular aspects of his character and nature. And he created women intentionally to reflect particular aspects of his nature and character. Is there overlap? Most certainly. But there are some qualities that men uniquely display. And there are some qualities that women are designed to express uniquely. So this comes back to the whole thing about God is spirit. He's not male or female. He's God. And he's made man and woman. Notice he didn't make a third or a fourth or a fifth or 71st according to Facebook in Europe. There's there's a male... And there's a, there's a female. And that in them, he is going to uniquely display the fullness of who he is. The first time it says God created them in their own, created man in his own image, is in the context of the man and the woman both being there. Boom. Doesn't mean man's not in God's image. Doesn't mean woman's not in God's image. But together, there's a full picture of, of who he is put on, on display. So, I'll stop there for a moment because that, that may be like new for some of you. And that may be, yeah, just different to think through. That was very enlightening for me as I was studying through. And Gary, you may be about to get there with reflected in the gospel, but especially not just the sum of the two next to each other, but how they relate to one another mm-hmm. is part of that full image. The, so then if you just blend the two and make both, Right, so this is where I think egalitarianism is, so this is where I think doctrine matters. So if you, if you go with a system where you say there's actually no difference between man and woman and you just blend everybody, and everybody has you know, roles, or if you go further to what the culture says, and let's, let's just evaporate all differences and everybody's the same, um, you, you flatten what God is intended to be putting on blast. God says, I want this in HD. I want you guys to see differences and uniqueness in the same way that the Father is not the Son and the Son is not the Spirit. God has eternally been the one in three, unity and diversity. And in man and woman, God has designed this unique portrait in the way that they relate to one another to put on blast His full glory and and, and what His character is supposed to be like which is helpful there with number two. Femininity is reflected in the gospel. We're not going to do much on this because somebody's teaching this in in weeks to come. Um, But the gospel is illustrated by the relationship of a husband and a wife. 
This does not mean the manhood or womanhood is seen only in marital relationship, but that marriage is designed uniquely to highlight relational dynamic, dynamics of a husband and a wife that reflect the relationship that Jesus has with his church. So I think we'll see more on that. Is that next week that we're doing that, Ben? Great. Punt to Ben. So next week, Ben will talk all about that from Ephesians 5. So, but, but, but this is why, if, if you're familiar with these discussions, I would say that the complementarian, egalitarian discussion is a gospel issue. I don't think it's the same as, is Jesus God? But I think it's, it's very important because it touches on gospel issues because husband and wife are, are designed to reflect Christ in the church. The third thing here about um, where does it come from, womanhood is revealed in his scriptures. Womanhood is revealed in his scriptures. So, I don't know how helpful this is, so I'm going to spend very little time here. Not because the scriptures aren't important, but um, it's true the scriptures are our guide, but what I was going to do here is, is show examples of ungodly womanhood in the scripture and examples of godly womanhood in the scripture. So let me just, I'll give you a name. You tell me, um, we're going to start with some ungodly examples of womanhood, okay? Eve. How did womanhood go wrong there? She's designed to be a helper, but what does she do? She leaves and she covets. She, she does covet. Rather than helping him, she becomes a, a temptress. She eats and gives to him. So she steps out of her role in the same way that Adam's supposed to be a protector and provider and the one who defends God's commands, and he stepped out of his role. Satan's first temptation, by the way, was at the roles. He called them both out of their roles. I think that's significant. Um, Delilah. Remember with Samson? What, what, what characterized her? She was a what? Now, remember this children in the room. She was a what? <laughs> she was a manipulator. Yeah. She exploited his weakness and used it to control him and betray him. How about Jezebel? She's nasty. Jezebel. <laughs> she just was, man. <laughs> What was Jezebel like? Red first king. Pardon? Yeah, so she's murderous. She's manipulative. She preys upon the weak. You remember Naboth's vineyard? She, she preys upon the weak to get what she wants. She tempted Ahab into idolatry. So she is, these are ungodly examples of what womanhood does. Controlling, manipulating, murderous, hateful, tearing down, rather than nurturing, building up, encouraging godly leadership. Um, all right, examples of godly womanhood in the Scripture. This is all under the caveat that everybody sinned and falls short of the glory of God. That's true, we know, and that's significant. But we can learn from one another, and there are examples that are to be emulated. Sarah, what marked her? Faith. She trusted God to give her a child. She wrestled with it, but she, she trusted God. Rahab. faith. She honored the men from Israel. She showed them honor, appropriately relating to them in a way that she didn't relate to the authorities in her city, which would have been men as well. So there she showed differing according to appropriate relationship. Uh, Hannah? You gotta love the story of Hannah. What, what marked her? Faith. Faith. There's going to be a theme here, by the way. Uh, she cast herself upon the Lord in her weakness rather than trying to control and own it. What about honor as well? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, she showed it. She showed honor to her husband. Good, who was not that honorable. Yeah, so she kept her promise to uh, to bring Samuel to to the temple. Good, faithful. How about Abigail? We already talked about her a little bit with Nabal. Don't be a Nabal. Wise, yeah. John? It's courageous that, I mean, for her to show up and hit the ground in front of an army of angry men who are coming to kill a bunch of other men, and then on the other side it's Nabal, and on the other side it's David. So faith, certainly, but just the courage to stand up and speak. Yeah. I mean, she threw herself in the, I mean, she'd, she'd have been a speed bump, I mean, on, on, on an army's way to go and, and crush this thing, but yeah. Courage. So that's not the silent Betty Crocker. Okay, good. She's resourceful. Yeah, she, she was wise, man. You watch the way she. I mean, she was. She was shrewd, man. She's working that thing. She's. She's. You want her. You want her around. Um, Ruth. Faith. Faithful. Loyal. Thoughtful devotion to her mother-in-law. I mean, just faithful to her. We could go on. Mary. Faith, the church, faith, obedience. So there's lots of examples. When you read through the scriptures, it's good whenever you come to characters. Remember, every character fails you in the Bible. So like Homer Simpson, during one of the, uh, sorry, Eric, during one of the, uh, during one of the Simpsons, he, uh, he's, he's, he looked at the Bible and he'd been reading it for a while and he goes, hey, everybody in here is really messed up except this one guy, and that's Jesus. So, um, <laughs> and that's kind of what you're supposed to do when you read through the Bible. You see everybody's kind of messed up except this one guy. But that being said, we can still learn from one another, where there are examples to emulate and examples to avoid. We see those revealed in the Scriptures. All right, so those are some of the introductory stuff, where we get all this, this from. Now, how is femininity expressed? What does this look like? This is your second page. Some of this we'll dive into more than, than, than others. Um, so to re- reject God's good design here and His distinctions, we just want to say straight out, is, is going to be sinful. Now, the struggle with them is part of our journey in a sinful world. Nobody, this is not a, this is not a new law that we hold up like sometimes the Proverbs 31, many, many a mother has been crushed on Mother's Day by the preaching of Proverbs 31, where here's the law that you are a loser, because <laughs> nobody's like the P31 woman, right? I mean, to just crush mom, like, come on, mom, bam. Like, that's not what this is intended to be. These, rather, are fruit of the Holy Spirit that God produces in a life of faith that's aimed at following God in His grace, that we all need help in, okay? So... A feminine woman, she, biblically feminine woman, she, A, she walks by faith. So just as masculinity is marked by faith, so is femininity. Uh, This is not a perfect faith, but a faith that sets her apart as trusting her God. What is this sister about? She trusts her God, no matter what the future may hold. You remember in Proverbs 31, there's something about this. What does she do when she thinks about the future? Anybody remember the Proverbs 31 woman? She laughs at the future. 
She, she smiles at the things to come, another translation says. Why? Because though there's many things to be anxious about, and though there's many things to be fearful of, she rightly orders her fears. And her fear of God puts everything else into place and enables her to walk by, by faith. So I just want to begin by that because that is the mark of, of a godly woman, is that she's a woman of faith. And part of that is confessing when you don't feel filled with faith. Lord, right now, I just don't even feel like I've got a step to take. That's an act of faith that you're even looking to the Lord. So be encouraged by that and, and keep leaning in. Letter B, she has a gentle beauty of the heart that exceeds external beauty. She has gentle beauty of the heart that exceeds external beauty. So I need somebody in 1 Peter 3 and somebody in 1 Timothy 2, please. Who can get 1 Peter 3? Thank you, Johnny. 1 Timothy 2. Thank you, Merck. All right, 1 Peter 3. Johnny, read for us verses 3 and 4, and then Merck followed up with 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10. 1 Peter 3, 3 through 4. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight which in God's sight is very precious. So the things that the world says aren't that big a deal. God says, no, actually, that's beauty. Okay? Mark? Good. So what we don't want to hear is this is, is an admonition against wearing jewelry or against doing your hair. That's not the point. The, the point here is that if you spend more time getting dressed, doing your hair, doing your makeup, doing your, um, your jewelry and whatever else you do, if you spend more effort and energy on that so that you look something when you walk in versus spending more time on developing a gentle, quiet spirit that is teachable before the Lord so that good works can shine out of you, then something's off, deeply off. Because what it means to be a woman is not just that you're externally gorgeous, which is what the world tells you is what is important. We will go through women... Like models, just like, I mean, just, they're just, they're just a picture because they're pretty something to look at and not worry about what it does to hearts and souls and minds and lives. I mean, just the world has no care for character. But God says, in my sight, I look as, not as man sees. For man looks at the external, but I look at the heart. God sees the heart. So this is not just about a way a woman dresses. This has to do with the disposition of the heart that is not seeking to be showy or seductive 
or attention-seeking, but rather one that aims at being reserved in appropriate ways for the purpose of guarding the hearts of others and for guarding their own heart. So when I talk about modesty, modesty, this is both for men and women, but we're talking to ladies this morning. So sisters, the things you wear, they should be, you should use great wisdom to make sure that you're not just dressing in order to lure the eyes of other people and, which causes others to sin, and it's an aim to guard your own heart from seeking sinful attention. I would suspect in this room, there's a number of us, men or women, who are enslaved to what people think about us and whether people think we're, we're pretty or handsome or whatever it may be. So be, be mindful of that. Again, these verses are not teaching that you can't wear makeup or do your hair. It teaches that true beauty and true loveliness does not come from external adornment, but from a gentle, quiet spirit. Again, a gentle, quiet spirit is not one that, um, well, is one that isn't insistent on its own rights, that doesn't always push to get your own ideas or demand to have your own way. Again, it doesn't mean that you never talk, but it does mean that you control your tongue. It's a tongue that isn't sharp, that isn't critical or loud just for the sake of, listen to me. It's a spirit that avoids talking down to men, so we'll talk about relationship with men, talking down to men or mocking them or rudely criticizing them in private or public or to their face. There's a gentle spirit here. Now, brothers, gentleness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit for men too, so there's a, there's a place for that. And that is certainly true. But ladies, this, this, this is beautiful. It's beautiful. And don't be ashamed of pursuing that. Letter C. She courageously influences others for God's purposes. So I'm thankful that John highlighted uh, Abigail's courage when she went out. Um, one of the clear themes in the scriptures is that women are not just called to cower in the corner and have no voice or place in furthering God's purposes in the world. Rather, it's exactly the opposite. Women are called to help. You see this with uh, Zipporah. You remember when Moses is about to head into the promised land and Zipporah pulls the jaybreak and she's like, whoa. She's like, your son has not been circumcised yet and you're about to go back and lead the whole nation in, in repentance before God and things aren't right in our home. And she said, God was going to kill Moses, and Zephora kept it from happening by calling him to repent. That's, that's what a, a godly wife will do that. Acts 18, you remember Apollos is preaching in Ephesus, and it says, When Priscilla and Aquila, husband and wife, heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. I can't tell you how many times sisters have helped me in my thinking through the way I say something. I mean, I, I could go through right now and list off probably a dozen things that just come to mind from conversations that I've had with sisters over the years um, about either what I said or the way I said it and how much it's helped me to be a better pastor. So I need you sisters to have godly, humble, gentle insight as, as all, all of us do. We're a body. We need one another. This is part Part of it. You're going to hear um, John talk about Titus 2 this morning, so I'm not going to go into that, but, but women are to be involved in discipling relationships. Um, 
And it's done so that the Word of God will not be maligned. Um, Yeah, there's many more things we could say about that. But she courageously influences others for God's purposes. Um, Letter D, she has an honoring disposition toward men. This is more a theme, I think, that you catch in the Scriptures. Um, I could probably try and make some verses say it, but I don't think that's helpful. So I think this is just a, it's a general observation when you look through and you see passages about women. There's an there's a honoring disposition toward men. So we see that the posture of a woman's heart is supposed to be one that's inclined toward respecting and honoring men rather than trying to seduce or control or manipulate or emasculate or tear them down. So for instance, a couple years ago, now it's been about two years ago now, I was on a fishing trip with some buddies. And after, one of the guys brought his 10-year-old son, and afterwards we all went out to eat. And we're sitting there at the table, and the waitress came over, and she was taking everybody's order, and she came to uh, his son, and she looked at him, and she says, does the baby want a sandwich? To a 10-year-old boy. And you could just see it just crushed him. Like, that's not what it means to be a godly woman. Now, I'm sure she was not intentionally trying to hurt him. But a woman is mindful that, that men are to be built up and encouraged and that leadership and manhood is a good thing that is to be fanned into flame. It's wicked and evil to tear others down so that you can get a place of, of something higher. If you're a man or a woman, it's, go, it's ungodly and evil to do that. Now, um, yeah, women were created to look to men as leaders and protectors, expecting them to do what God calls them to do. And this can be done regardless. Uh, I mean, so, for instance, Carrie and I have a friend of a woman who serves as a high-ranking, um, she has a high-ranking place in, in military. Um, and she has lots of, of men who work um, alongside her and, and under her. But her disposition, she is very intentional to make sure that she is not belittling the men, but that she seeks to build them up and enable them to lead better. She does her job very well and humbly, but she does it filled with grace, aimed at affirming men. So she could just dress them down in front of everybody else and emasculate them. She could do that. She has that that rank and that authority. But she would never do that because she's a Christian. And there's something different about her. She wants to fan good things into flame. Letter E. Oh, mercy. I hate that I didn't get here because this is really important, but we're going to do our best. Letter E. She embraces her God-appointed role. So God has designed men and women to have differing roles in both home and the church. This diversity is a beautiful thing that reflects the nature of our Trinitarian God. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit each joyfully possess a distinct role in the Godhead, and God has created us in His image to do the same. So letter A, under she is, letter A, so he has it as one. She is a helper of men. Woman is created to be the helper of man. We see this in Genesis 2.18, God created a woman to be the helper to Adam. What this doesn't mean is that she is his gopher to fetch him breakfast or to go get him a beer um, while he just sits back and does whatever he does. But rather, she is given by God to the man 
to help him faithfully carry out the commission and the commands of God. So, women across the board, God has created you to be the helper of men. Now, being a helper is not a demeaning role. I, I said this earlier this week that for God to create the woman to be a helper is no more offensive than for the man to be created in need of help. Okay? Dudes need help. Amen, brothers? Yeah, I see a lot of dudes going, uh-huh. All right. Guys will act strong, act like we got it together, but we have no idea what we're doing. Okay? I can't tell you in premarital counseling how many a man comes into my office just like, I don't know how to lead. I'm like, it's all right, man. She's going to help you. Um, help is not a dirty word. God himself calls himself our helper. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit our helper. So, in considering this topic, we might say that Wendy Alsop says it well, that Eve was created to complement Adam. If you don't like the word helper, which I think is a great word, use the word complement. You're created to complement the man. Together, you're able to better fulfill the function of obeying God's command and ruling and subduing the earth and being co-heirs in the grace of life. Now, biblical femininity does not express itself in the same way toward every man in every relationship. So a woman who is married, for example, will not rightly welcome the same kind of strength and leadership from any other man as she would her husband. There's differing relationships that are appropriate. That's where that, that word comes back to. Okay? But a biblical woman should seek to affirm and nurture the man's God-given role and nature as a servant leader and nurture her God-given role and nature as helper in some appropriate form in her relationships with men. This takes wisdom, it takes prayer, it takes wise counsel. All these things are, are very true. And I want to say the Bible is really thin on specifics of exactly how you do that intentionally so that we rely upon God. Okay. Now, I want to make something really clear, though. You see number two, she is submissive to her husband if she is married. Ben, are you doing that or are you doing that, Eric? I'm doing that. Great. God bless. Um, so, but it's good. No, it's good. It's great. It's, it's, it's wonderful, okay, because, I mean, Jesus loved to submit to the Father, okay? But I want to be really clear about something. Women are not called to submit to men. Women are created to be the helper of men, but they're not called to, be, to submit to men. What I mean by that is, not inherently, what I mean by that is there's a woman is called to submit to her own husband. It's the only time you see it used. So, ladies, you get to choose, if, if God gives you marriage, you get to choose to submit to one man. The Bible across the board does not say women are to submit to men. Women certainly look to men for leadership and courageous provision and all these kinds of things and protection. Yes, that's true. And you come alongside and help men in that. But the word submit is only used of women in the context of a wife submitting to her husband. It's very different. So all women are not commanded to submit to all men. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that women are to be the helper of men, because men can't do it all, but are to submit to their husbands if God gives marriage to them. That's, I think, a very important distinction that is really helpful and I think clears up a lot of just confusion about relationship. Yes? So, I mean, I don't know if you're going to talk about this, Ben, but can you help us understand how to encourage friends who are married to non-Christians? 
Yes, Ben will cover that next week. Ben will definitely cover that next week. <laughs> yes, amen. Um, she's active in ministry to build up the church. This is just clear. Uh, the elders this past elders meeting spent a large portion of our time talking about how can we better hear from the sisters because we need help because we're not a bunch of women. That being said, God has given the leadership role to the men. And we, but we think that sisters are here to help. So sisters, we need your help. Pray. Pray for us to have wisdom as, as godly leaders to know how to do that well. We want to do that well. All this being said, letter, whatever, I don't know Roman numerals, whatever the IV is, is that four? Four, four thank you. Um, nurturing care for others, especially in the home. When everybody uses the Proverbs 31 thing to talk about how women can have careers. Well, her career is always in submission to what she does in the home. Her aim is in the home. If you look through everything she does, it's for her husband, it's for her kids, and yes, she blesses others, but nurture in the home first, and she fears God. Um, finally, beauty is deceitful, charm is in vain, but a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. Being a woman is daunting, especially in our day, but I want you to know, sisters, we need y'all, and there's nothing like a godly woman. So please, pursue the Lord Jesus. Cry out to Him in ways, uh, through ev in every bit of it, and as you fail and as you stumble, ask Him for help. That's what He does. Brothers, love your sisters. Care for them. Lead them. Protect them in ways that are appropriate. But may God mark this church as a, as a, as a people who, yeah, who, who delight in God's design and enjoy it. And might there be much flourishing out of it. I'm going to pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. Oh, the depths of the wisdom, the knowledge of God. We pray that there would be some good things from this that would spark good conversations and that you would bless us as we seek to be a church that honors you in all things. Give us help. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.